following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. I'm uh, feel a little more pressure behind this imposing pulpit this morning. <laughs> what a blessing. Hmm. Well, we are beginning our work in uh, Paul's second letter to Timothy this morning, so you can turn there with me. Second uh, Timothy chapter 1, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. That's page 995 in the Pew Bibles. Um, this is, um, this, uh, oh, before I get started, I want to, um, say thank you for those of you who have been praying for my nana. Um, we had, uh, Thanksgiving dinner yesterday and she was able to come, um, which was a blessing to her and to all of us. And, uh, even though it's on the second floor of a, a barn, um, she was able to manage the stairs and, uh, and did very well. So, um, uh, she's probably going to have to rest for two weeks to make up for it, but, uh, she was able to be there and it was, it was wonderful to be with her. So thank you for praying for her. Um, anyway. So we're looking um, at first uh, Second Timothy, sorry, Second Timothy, and this is the thirteenth time that we have looked at the greeting at one of Paul's epistles. Uh, not the same greeting, but um, the thirteenth time we've looked at the greeting of one of his epistles. And since we know that God spoke through His servant Paul, we know that these words are God's words. And they are not to be cast off as unimportant or even uninteresting. So let's read the text and we'll see what God has said through his servant Paul to Timothy and to us. And then we pray. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, um, we are so grateful that you have given us your word. We are so grateful that uh, not one of these words is wasted. Not one of these words is unimportant and without meaning. So, Lord, as we look at these words this morning, we pray that your spirit would speak to us again, uh, that you would bring your words to life in our hearts, um, that we might be changed and renewed and made more like our Savior, Jesus. We give you this time for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Later on in this uh, letter, we are... Uh, we will see the words that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And these words that we have read, though they are few, are no different. 
first of all, I think it's important that we get uh, get a handle on Paul's circumstances when he's writing this letter. Um, Paul uh, was in a prison. But this is not the imprisonment that's described in the book of Acts, where he lived in a rented home uh, in Rome and was relatively free to move about and to minister to people and preach the word, even though he was chained to a guard. This is not that prison. Um, Paul was set free from that imprisonment, and that's when he visited uh, Crete with Titus. He left him behind for the work there and traveled some other places as well. This was Paul's second imprisonment, second and a final imprisonment. Um, he was imprisoned in Rome under the Emperor Nero. You've heard of him before, Emperor Nero. He's famous for uh, burning Rome to the ground and blaming the church uh, and burning Christians alive to light his... Uh, festivals and feasts. He was no friend to the church at all. Now, according to tradition, which means it's not recorded in Scripture, but the scholars believe it to be true, um, Paul was held in what's called the Mamertine Prison, or Mamertine Prison, in Rome until he was executed on the Ostian Way, the road outside of the city. Um, uh, this picture on a screen here, Joel, if you'd mind clear, clearing the words off there. This is the Mamertine prison. It's just one cell. It's a dark and dank and lonely place, a desperate place to be. This is a place where people waited to die. Now, there are lots of... uh People think different things of why it was called the Mamertine prison. One of the reasons was uh, people believe um, that this hole in the ground was a cistern, a uh, place to hold water, and there was a spring beneath it. Um, it's been built up quite a bit, um, so there's no water or anything, and now there's two churches built on top of it. But this is a hole where people are left to await their death. And this is where Paul is waiting for his earthly life to end, in a dark, dank hole in the ground, with only Luke left beside him, acting as his secretary as he recited these words, Paul, an apostle of Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm sure when you sit down to write a letter to a friend, you probably not sit in a place like this and write down words of joy and greeting to your loved one. This is a desperate place. But Paul, <laughs> to his credit, didn't allow his circumstances to uh, keep him from doing the work God had given him to do. He didn't let the darkness of the prison snuff out the light of the love of God in the gospel in his heart. 
Years before, Paul had written in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31, said, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And his great boast in the Lord was that he had been chosen by God to be an apostle, an ambassador of the gospel sent by Jesus Christ himself. That, that may not sound like boasting in the Lord, but the boast was not that Paul was chosen for this work because he was so worthy of the calling. It was because he was so unworthy, so undeserving of being called to this work, of being an ambassador to, uh, ambassador of Christ to the Gentiles. Uh, don't forget where uh, Paul came from, who Paul once was. His Hebrew name was Saul, you remember. He was a Pharisee a Jewish teacher of the law, and he was so zealous for protecting the Jewish religion that he persecuted the church because the gospel was a threat to all of their tradition and their position. He gave his approval to the stoning of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. He sought out Christians all over Palestine and dragged them off to prison simply because they believed in Jesus. He was on his way to Damascus in Syria to do the same thing to imprison Christians. And there on the road, Jesus appeared to him and gave him a new life and a new calling, not to destroy the gospel, but to preach it to the Gentiles, to preach it to the very ends of the earth. Now, Paul's boast was not in himself and his worthiness. His boast was in the Lord and the great grace of God that allowed a wretch like him to not only come to faith in Christ, but to be used to preach salvation through faith in Jesus to the whole world. And here we are today, all these years later, still reading his words. I love the expression Paul uses, that he was an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of the life. That is in Christ Jesus. Do you see that hole in the ground on a screen? That's part of the promise. I don't know how many of you are like me. You start to complain when things get a little bit rough. Things are a little bit tight. Christmas is coming. And I love the nativity and the celebration of the birth of, birth of Christ. But I hate Christmas. <laughs> it's just... So much pressure and, and hassle and hustle and so much to do. But I don't have to deal with that hole in the ground. The promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise that no matter how bad a person is, no matter how great their sin is, that by God's grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, they will be granted new life, eternal life. They will be made a new creation and be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Now, it comes with some other things as well. Hardship and persecution is part of it because people hate the gospel. People hate Jesus. And because they hate him, they'll hate us. But we don't like that, do we? I like people to like me. 
I like to walk into the room and people say, hey, not, oh. Hmm. Paul recognized that we are weak vessels, but we carry a great treasure to prove that as 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. The power to grant new life through repentance of sin and faith in Christ. That is the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. The promise of new life is only found in Jesus. Another message not popular in our day. But there is no other name under heaven by which people can be saved. Not Allah, not Muhammad, not Buddha, not Krishna, not New Age thinking. Pick one. None of that. There is no other name by which people can be saved. The beauty of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus is that it can be found and experienced in the midst of circumstances that seem like they're falling apart. There is no hole so deep and dark that Christ cannot reach down and find you. No circumstance no so desperate that he cannot intervene. And from a deep, dark hole in the most desperate of circumstances, Paul wrote to his beloved son in the faith, Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. In Paul's first Timothy, uh, first letter to Timothy, he wrote, To my true child in the faith. That's how he referred to Timothy. And in this letter, he writes much more warmly in saying, To my beloved child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace. Before, in the first letter, he's testifying, Timothy, you are my genuine son. He came to faith under the preaching of Paul uh, and worked with him and traveled with him uh, and felt a true sense of uh, family of fidelity with him. But this is much more warm from this deep, dark hole. My beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace. These are not just a greeting, my friends. To wish grace, mercy, and peace from the Lord for our friends is the best thing we could ever wish for them. They are daily supply from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. It's everything that we need to survive one day at a time. The word grace it's used 131 times in the new, uh, in the English Standard Version of the Bible. And the Greek word for it, charis. Say it with confidence. Charis. If you're a little bit, uh, whatever. C-H-A-R-I-S. Charis. What does it mean? It means a gift. Grace is what God gives that we do not deserve. And all the blessings that are ours without any work on our part. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, 
Grace and gift, same word. It's not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For he is, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now look at this list of gifts. Salvation is a gift. Faith is a gift. Our very creation is a gift. The work that God has for us to do in this life is a gift. Every single breath we breathe, every beat of our heart is a gift from God. It is by grace that we are not only saved, but that we were created. He didn't have to do that. He doesn't have to keep your heart beating. You can't control it. It's not up to you. It's up to him. By grace, through faith in Christ, we are set free from guilt. I think that that is a more life-changing statement than most other statements I've ever made. By grace, through faith in Christ, we are set free from guilt. By God's grace, we are conscious of God's love for us. Do you know that's a gift? You can, you can wave that sign at the football game that says John 3.16, right? But it is only by the grace of God that a person can understand that God loved them so much that he sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life? Do you know that it's only by God's grace that a person can go to pick up a Bible and read that verse? Hmm. It's only by God's grace that the Bible exists for us to read. I, I would challenge you, if you're interested in just how far-reaching God's grace is as it re- as it uh, as it um, is related to the Bible, to do some research on a story of how we got this wonderful book, just, just it didn't used to be in a language that you could read. It was controlled by other people, and we write it in a in a language in Latin, so people can't read it. So that you have to come to me, and I'll tell you what it says. And I can control your life because you don't know any different. Bible says you got to pay me more. Okay, chop, chop, right? No, that's not what scripture really says. To get the Bible in our own language is a wonderful gift of grace because that means we can go directly to the words of God, not the words of man, right? I'm not... It's not my job to control your life. I'm not here to tell you what you can't read on your own. Right? To expound the scripture and to do some extra work and find some uh, true meaning here that we can apply to our lives, sure. But not me to control your life. That's a gift of God's grace, not just to you, but to me. I don't want to control your life. I can barely control my own. What a wonderful gift. Men, I'm getting excited. <laughs> Thing of 
men like uh, Tyndale and um, uh, Heidelberg and these, uh, like the printing press was invented to print copies of scripture. <laughs> and men and women were killed because they wanted to put the word of God in the hands of the people. That's not in the notes. And I'm in a hurry, so I'm taking extra time. Not only is it by God's grace that we have the word, it's by God's grace that we have the power to obey his word. We can't do that on our own. It's only because of the gift of his Holy Spirit living within us that we can have insight and understanding in what the Bible says and to be able to do what it says. That's from God. That's not from us. Our participation in this work is brush the dust off our Bible sometimes, occasionally. Hmm. There are no tissues in my giant pulpit. I got some here. <laughs> I'm glad we're family. <laughs> God's grace. By God's grace, we have tissues. I'm grateful for that. And they're flying everywhere. God's grace is his highest good for the guilty. That's what we were before we received the gift of God's son. Grace, mercy, and peace. Out of all Paul's letters, do you know, only the two letters to Timothy include mercy in the greeting. Everyone else, you can look at them. It's grace and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Except for the letters to Timothy. Even Titus didn't get mercy. Timothy did. Though it is used 169 other times in the scripture, in a greeting, it's only used to Timothy. If grace is getting what we do not deserve, we've talked about this before, mercy is when God withholds what we do deserve. Mercy is God's compassion for the miserable. It is because God is merciful that he is also gracious. Romans chapter 3, verses 21 to 26 says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who, put, who God put forward as a propitiation, a means of forgiveness, what that word means, a means of forgiveness by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because of his divine forbearance, that's mercy, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God's mercy is not getting what we do deserve. It's God's mercy that holds back the immediate punishment for sin. Otherwise, no one would be saved. We're sinful from conception. We 
inherit that from our father Adam. And if the wages of sin is death, who gets to be born? Nobody. It's not only God's mercy that holds back the immediate punishment for sin. Otherwise, we wouldn't be born, let alone be saved. It is also God's mercy that tempers our trials. Any time we enjoy without trouble is a result of God's mercy. Every day that you're healthy, every day, every moment that you're not suffering from something is because of God's mercy. No matter how brief that time (laughs) might be, free from trouble, it is a result of God's mercy. Because of our sin, all we deserve is trial and trouble and death and destruction. So any moment that we enjoy anything other than those things is because of God's mercy in our lives. Now, <coughs> excuse me, you may, um, you may think, geez, you're kind of making us all look like jerks. The good news is I'm not. You are. Because it's the truth. And if we just say, well, people are basically good, then faith in Jesus is just an add-on, right, to make life more difficult, not easier. But we are not. We are bad. That's what made God so good. That's what makes his mercy so great. Because we deserve death and destruction. But he doesn't give it to us immediately. Because of his divine forbearance, his great patience with us. He has passed over former sins until a time that we come to faith in Christ. God's mercy is God's highest good for the suffering. Grace, mercy, and finally, peace. Now you tell me, how can a man who has been thrown into a deep, dark hole, awaiting execution, deserted by most of his friends, unable to even see well enough to write letters on his own and dependent on somebody else to write these words down for him. You tell me how a man who had been beaten and stoned, left for dead, shipwrecked and abandoned, you tell me how somebody like that could talk about peace. Does that sound like a life of peace? Not by our definition, I don't think. Well, I think it's because, as the inspirational calendars and bumper stickers would tell us, peace is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Jesus. Doesn't that sound nice? Here's the trouble with that. The trouble with that is when we don't feel at peace, does that mean that Jesus has left us? Right? If peace is not the absence of conflict but the presence of Jesus when you're not experiencing peace, does that mean that he's just out to lunch? Take a break from you? By no means. 
True peace, despite what bumper stickers might say, has more to do with confidence in God than the absence of trouble. Confidence that God is sovereign, that he is in charge of all things. And the circumstances that you're in, no matter how dire or desperate, no matter how deep and dark the hole, you are in those circumstances because God has allowed it and is at work. He has a purpose for your pain. He is at work through your trouble. Warren Wiersbe called this the inner calm that keeps you panic-proof. It's trust in God. That's the only way to get peace. The ultimate peace that the Christian has, first of all, is peace with God. Romans 5.1 says, Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And we can only have peace with God through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ by His mercy and grace. It's all dependent on God. So maybe let some air out of your head. Don't be so conceited. This is about the Lord and not about us. And because we have the ultimate peace with God through faith in Jesus Christ, we can trust that he is in control and he is at work in all things, in all circumstances, no matter how good or bad they appear to us. Peace is the highest good for the struggling because it comes from confidence in God. Hmm. So here's my prayer for you. So Heath, a pastor of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, to Crossroad Church, my beloved brothers and sisters, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. for your grace and mercy and peace. For the mercy that spared us from punishment for our sin. The grace that allowed us to have faith in Jesus Christ and the peace that we have with you and can have in our lives as a result. Knowing that you are in charge and we are no longer your enemies, but your friends, your children. We're so grateful. May you be blessed by the preaching of your word this morning and blessed by your people as we obey. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire. 03890